Welcome to Artworks, the weekly podcast produced by the National Endowment for the Arts. I'm Josephine Reed. This week, we celebrate the 30th anniversary of the signing of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And to mark the occasion, I speak with visual artist and disability rights advocate Gordon Sasaki. Gordon has an acquired disability, and for 40 years, he has been working to increase accessibility to the arts for both practitioners and audiences. Believing in the fundamental power of art to advance disability rights, many of his paintings, sculptures, and photographs reflect the body and how it's represented, the reality of living with a disability, and the diversity of disabilities, both obvious and subtle. A longtime teaching artist in New York City, primarily at the Museum of Modern Art, focusing on disabled and underserved students, Gordon moved back to his hometown of Honolulu a couple of years ago, where he continues to work as an artist and as an advocate. And that's where I caught up with Gordon Sasaki last week. Here's our conversation. Okay. Hello, Gordon. First of all, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. Hi, Joe. Oh, it's my pleasure. Now, Gordon, I know you're a visual artist and you work in different forms. Can you describe, you know, pretty basically your work? My work is very autobiographical. It takes many different forms, primarily um, painting as of late, but I've also worked in sculpture and photography. When I say autobiographical, I think the best way to describe the work is that it's very much about how art can touch us as um, not only individuals. I feel like the more specific we can be about our work as artists, the closer we come to being universal and connecting us all with each other as human beings. I agree. I think it's like the artistic paradox. The more specific you are, the more universal it becomes. Exactly. Yes. You have an acquired disability. You use a wheelchair. Can you tell me how old you were and what happened? I was 21 and I was involved in an automobile accident, which I injured my spinal cord uh, right about at the sternum level. And uh, it resulted in complete paralysis. Um, so I have used a wheelchair since 1982. Had you been a painter, photographer, sculptor, and artist before then? I actually had. I have always been keen to the arts. Uh, it was interesting because being 21 at the time, I was kind of at the point in college where I was deciding my major, and I knew it would be in the arts, but I never really, you know, I didn't want to be that starving artist, that stereotype, right? You know, you're thinking of your future, et cetera, et cetera. But it made me realize the importance of art in my life. And if I were given the opportunity to do something with my life, do you want to do something that's something you love and you feel really heartfelt towards? So I decided to commit myself to the arts. So the accident, I don't know, shone a light on which way you wanted to go. Yeah, exactly. It kind of narrowed my focus and enabled me to kind of decide, yeah, well, you know, this is my opportunity. You were born in Honolulu. Were you in Honolulu during the accident? No, I was actually in Los Angeles. You moved to New York, and that's my hometown. It's a difficult city, and I wonder how you found your independence there, if it was difficult for you to find your independence there. 
That's that's very interesting because um, as far as accessibility, the city itself, when I talk about the city, I'm talking about Manhattan more specifically. It is not the worst place I've ever been. Usually suburbs or places like that uh, where they don't have sidewalks or curb cuts or other kind of physical adaptations can be more of a challenge. The city has, you know, limited subway access, but the buses were primarily accessible. So, I mean, not at the beginning when I first got there. I mean, I remember when there was a big controversy about even the curb cuts because the curb cuts themselves uh, within the disabled community curves were an indication of where the blind would stop and the curb cut itself kind of created a, a simple flow into the street where if you're blinded you're using a cane you don't feel that shift so in terms of making things accessible uh, there's always kind of a back and forth dialogue that has to take place as far as the city itself, it's challenging for all of us. But frankly, I, I feel like New York is one of the most friendly cities to live in in the world. Well, I still think of it as home, so I would concur. But I also know it can be very difficult. It's um, so true. Yeah. I know you did not want to be a starving artist, but I have an ex-husband who is an artist, and I know a career in the arts, the visual arts, he's a painter, is not easy. I really would love to hear when you were first able to support yourself through art and how that happened. Gee, I still am working on that, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just an ongoing process. I mean, truly, part of it is is kind of being flexible and understanding that my practice specifically is not just putting paint on canvas. It's very much about engaging individuals and trying to better the community. And in that kind of broad sense, I've, being a teaching artist is very, very much about my practice. So I worked at MoMA for a long time. And MoMA is the Museum of Modern Art in New York. Yes. Uh, as a teaching artist and a lot of other institutions throughout the city. And I felt like through that process of giving, I was getting as much back from the people that I was working with. I was working specifically with disabled and underserved populations within the five boroughs and kind of taking things from a different perspective and beginning to understand the inequities and the challenges that we all face. Well, as you mentioned, you're an artist and you're an advocate. And I'm curious when your advocacy for people with disabilities began. Um, you know, I've been advocating since really my accident. I mean, immediately after I got out of the hospital, I kind of realized that I didn't really know anybody with a disability. They were basically invisible. And I began to explore that fact and why is this so? And, you know, the infrastructure itself is so... Um, subtle in terms of not exposing the fact that people with disabilities weren't getting out because they couldn't get out. There was no means, mass transit, etc. So uh, that kind of compounds the issue of visibility. So at that point, I was beginning to work with different organizations that were arts and disability focused. And later on, I began to kind of expand on that. And we developed a, an awards program, the Win Newhouse Awards, for individuals with disabilities for professional artists. And that has, is still ongoing. It's been a wonderful thing. It's basically a, a cash grants awards to 
artists with disabilities. And I don't mean to age you, Gordon, but when you had your accident, the ADA hadn't even passed. Americans with Disability Act hadn't even passed. Exactly. I mean, I was 10 years before that, the implementation. And in actuality, uh, I have seen significant changes. I mean, we're obviously not there yet. It's an ongoing process, just like any work of art, but it has made a huge impact on my life and many of us. How would you say your art intersects with your, with your activism? Oh, I think part of it is just being an artist. I think just the practice of being an artist is a significant fact that we don't see many people with disabilities in our society. The thing about art is that the art itself is never disabled. So what I've been doing is I've been painting these wheelchairs, more specifically my wheelchair, through a series of paintings that involve visibility and invisibility. And uh, they're very straightforward, um, nothing special about them. But the reason why I started was because I've, I didn't see anything that was talking about disability in a positive light. I was really thinking, can a painting of a wheelchair be beautiful? Can disability be seen in a different frame? So I started these works. I'm jumping ahead because you participated in the inaugural year of the Art and Disability Institute in cooperation with Art Beyond Sight. And I think that was 1917, 1918. I mean, excuse me, 2017. Wow. Oh, it's been a long week, Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. 2018, 2017? Uh, yeah, it was around there. Yeah. And you showed Gold Wheelchair, which is a stunning painting. Thank you. And can you describe that for us? Uh, it is a life-size painting of my wheelchair in three-quarter view. It is 70, 70 inches by 42 inches. It's just basically a red wheelchair, a bright, bright red wheelchair on a gold field. And the gold field is actually uh, gold leaf. So I wanted to bring a preciousness to the work. And it's highly visible. It almost glows in the dark. It's so bright. It's really stunning. And in terms of what you were saying and playing with wheelchair paintings and, and visibility and invisibility, this obviously is the very visible one. Yes. And beautiful. Thank and I you. think that beauty was also key to that painting. And uh, another issue that I was dealing with, I mean, or another aspect I was dealing with, uh, with my own identity is my Japanese heritage. Using that kind of gold leaf background kind of reminded me very much of these kind of folded screens that I had seen in Japan. Another set of works that you did, it was an exhibit that you had, and it's New York Portraits. And it's an exhibit of photographs that you did that looked at working New York City artists with disabilities. And I'd love to have you talk about that. It also became a book. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's a photo book that uh, is currently available still, I believe. It was self-published. I guess the genesis of it was is that I started taking photographs of friends and friends 
asked other friends and told other friends. So they, within the network of disabled artists that I had, we just started sharing stories and shooting each other and taking the opportunity to record each other, so to speak. So that's really where the book kind of started. And I realized that I had all these photographs of artists that I knew. And part of my process is bringing my aesthetic, my visual sensibilities to the canvas of photography. So in essence, I don't really view it as anything different from a painting or sculpture. It's just a different tool, that's all. Did you find the book or the exhibit, New York Portraits, did you find that it generated useful discussions or interactions about artists with disabilities? Uh, yes, it actually did. And that was part of the intent. We had several presentations surrounding them. One of them was, I think it was at La Mama at the time, which is a small theater in the Lower East Side. There was a program called Artists Talk on Art, which has been going on for many years and uh, public is invited and some of the artists came and we had a panel discussion and one of the things that i really emphasized was that we would have panel discussions in regards to this because i can't speak for the artists themselves i even though they may be my friends i thought it was best that i act as um, a panelist slash moderator and we kind of just have a discussion about the project and their work so we not only talk about the images themselves, but we also get to meet and understand the artists as individuals, which I think is really key. I would agree. Can you talk about the role art has in advancing disability rights, in advocating for disabled people? Uh, I think art has the potential to change society. I mean, I certainly believe that in my heart. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I know that it has within my own life. So all I can do is kind of bring that experience to a larger framework. And I feel like in so many ways, it touches on who we are as essential individuals, as well as social beings. Uh, I mean, basically humans. Thus, I feel like it continues regardless of all the other things that we may be challenged with at this time. I wonder what you think about disability art as a term and as a concept. I don't know that I see art in that sense. I feel like art can touch on different issues um, and sometimes multiple issues simultaneously, because obviously it's always the individual who, who brings meaning to the work, uh, the viewers, I should say. So when we talk about disability art or art that kind of focuses on disability, I think it's another way of addressing something that the artist is reflecting on. One of the things that I think is problematic with, I guess, a general view of disability as it, is that it becomes all defining of the individual. Oh, that's the guy in the wheelchair. Uh, oh, that's the blind girl, et cetera, et cetera. And, and those aspects may be relevant and are very pertinent to that individual, but they are not all defining. There's so much more to that person, just a matter of getting to know them and understanding them as we would any individual. Tell me about your work practices. Uh, I, I treat it as a job. I get up in the morning and I work. Um, I find my most productive times in terms of writing to be in the mornings, and then I begin to work in the afternoons. 
uh, depending on my own schedule. And uh, currently, I have a service dog that I have to take out and walk every day. So it's a good break from the studio practice. And then I come back and I work some more. Do you, do you like to paint with oil, particularly acrylic? What what medium do you, do you prefer to work in? Or does it depend on the project? Uh, exactly. It really depends on the project. Uh, even in terms of whether I use sculpture or something else, I, I feel like the, the materials we use say so much about what it is we're looking at or what we're experiencing that I think to limit one and say that, oh, I'm a painter, I think narrows it a little bit too much for myself. Do you like to begin with sketches or do you prefer to go straight to the canvas? Uh, I usually just start and I, I develop a dialogue with the work and sometimes it becomes a monologue where it's just not working and you know it. I mean, you know it yourself when it doesn't feel right, but other times it just clicks. So through this process of creating these minor catastrophes, the work <laughs> develops. And then uh, it just ends. I was going to say, is there a part for you that's really the most challenging, whether it's the beginning or getting it through or, or stopping and saying, okay, I'm not overpainting this. This is finished. It took me a while to kind of get to a point where I felt like, okay, this is done. Because every day, as I change as an individual, I bring new insight into the work and I look at it and I feel like, okay, uh, I could do this, I could do that, I could do this. But I think moving forward is the key and understanding that the work becomes a document of history, of where we've been as an individual, of where I was at the time of its creation. I think it makes it more valuable to me. It's almost like a diary. Now, I had heard you were painting portraits of dogs, or at least your dog. Is that still something you're doing? Yes. Yes, I, I just finished a commission. Um, that is something that is kind of a labor of joy for me, uh, just simply because I, I started actually with my dog. And then same thing with the photo project. Somebody else said, hey, will you paint me this? And, and then it kind of has snowballed from there. What's your dog's name? Maki. M-A-K-I. She's a black Border Collie lab mix. And uh -huh. um, when she was a puppy, she her black coat was so black, it was almost purple, like the color of um, seaweed that they wrapped the sushi in. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, they call that maki sushi. And her chest is all white, and she has white socks on and a tip of her tail. So it reminded me that this white, central body is wrapped with this black fur and so i called her mock <laughs> how much has changed since you've gotten a service dog which is not uh, off topic if you knew me since i have two dogs sleeping at my feet even as we speak <laughs> <laughs> yeah well it certainly helped me become more independent so we basically go out shopping almost daily our routine hasn't changed too much from the city of new york making sure she gets her exercise. And then um, I guess part of it is, is, you know, this acceptance of dogs in all society. I think that has been a, a huge thing. I mean, sometimes there is questions about whether some dogs are service dogs or not. I think there's a difference between a service dog and a therapy dog, but um, those are gray areas. And I think we as a society need to kind of work them out.
Is the dog in the studio with you when you paint? Yes. Oh. She is with me all the time. You've left New York and you returned to Honolulu. Yes. And I wonder how Honolulu is in terms of you being able to get around and be independent, especially compared to New York. You know, New York has its challenges, the weather being one of them. But in Honolulu, you're not dealing with really the weather. Part of it is, is the you're dealing with the infrastructure. Um, I mean, it's a very car-oriented city. There is some attempt to make things a little bit more accessible. Like the buses have lifts now, which they didn't previously. But you still got to have a car here, which to me is kind of a bummer because I really never had a car in New York. So I just feel like no matter where you are, no matter where you go, there, there are different issues that you have to kind of deal with. There's always pluses and minuses. Of course, of course. Gordon, I'm curious about the changes you've seen in the art world and how it has evolved in terms of its diversity and inclusivity, especially regarding artists and audiences with disabilities. I think like much of society, things have become a little bit more open for um, people, you know, outside of the center. So as far as inclusiveness, I mean, obviously there is clearly a long way to go. Part of my issue has been is that, you know, many galleries in New York, I wasn't physically able to even get into. Mm -hmm. So how could I possibly show in a gallery like that? These are kind of really fundamental things that need to be addressed um, and can easily be switched if there's kind of a motivation behind it. But clearly the mindset or the idea has to come first. Uh, I think that is the most difficult thing is that kind of attitudinal shift where people begin to realize that, oh yeah, you know, there are other ways to do something. Well, we've seen during the pandemic, for example, Museums are putting more of their collections online or are putting exhibits online. And in theater, there are performances going online. And certainly I've heard from arts administrators that they're hearing from folks with disabilities and not just folks with disabilities, but from other people as well, that the ability to easily access this artwork is a wonderful, wonderful boon for them. And administrators are saying, even when they reopen, they don't want to lose that. They really are rethinking how an online presence can help them broaden their accessibility. That is wonderful news. I'm so happy to hear that. I mean, it, it makes sense, right? And unfortunately, I guess it's, it's taken this kind of, this crisis for people to realize that there are alternative ways to invite different audiences who traditionally may not at all have gone into museum settings or galleries, and that may have nothing to do with disability. Right. It definitely may not. It's just made accessibility very, very easy. It seems like a no-brainer, doesn't it? Kind of to me, but I wonder, 
when you're painting, you, you said you have a dialogue with with the canvas. We're talking about painting right now, but I, I assume it's true with photography too. Dialogue between the camera and the subject. Do you ever think about audience? Yes, I do. I mean, that's part of why I began these paintings of wheelchairs. Otherwise, they basically are pretty boring objects. I just feel like that they're so loaded. The images themselves are so loaded with meaning. And while it means something to me, I know that it means something different to other people. And historically, I'd never seen any wheelchairs in paintings or elsewhere that were portrayed as something that was beautiful or empowering. So very much I was considering, well, how will people view this and how can we shift their thinking about what beauty can actually be? I'm always curious about when you're commissioned to do a work versus when you can go to the canvas and paint what you want. Is there a different feeling that you have for one rather than the other? I mean, how do you approach it differently or do you not? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. I mean, I've never really thought about it, but I think for me, it's the genesis of the work, where it begins. And I think the commission works, um, a lot of that initial uh, inception, it, the work is done for you. You basically, what I'm doing is I'm starting with photographs and then kind of beginning from there. But from that point, the dialogue is the same. I'm just kind of responding to what I see, what I do, and just going back and forth and back and forth with the work. But yeah, I, I really think it's really just the, the beginning that's different. I would love, if you don't mind, just, just in closing, I would love to have you reflect on the 30 years since ADA and not just what's changed, because obviously a great deal did, but take a moment to make an assessment of where we are now and where we still need to go. You know, the change in my life has been huge and significant, as I know that it has in other individuals. But obviously, we just need to con continue and not backtrack, so to speak. I feel like, you know, in terms of access, physical access, it's really, again, the attitude. It's exposing individuals to difference. And that difference, again, doesn't necessarily have to only be about disability. It could be any kind of difference. Thus, I feel like inclusion and diversity are one and the same. We just need to begin to open our minds and think that there are other possibilities, other ways to do things. And I, that's a good place to leave it. Gordon, thank you for giving me your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Joe. And pat your dog on the head for me. I will, absolutely. <laughs>